Hello, and welcome to the What's Next podcast. My name is Liz Smith, owner of Liz Smith Law, and on this show, I share conversations to investigate building and leaving your legacy, estate planning for young families, supporting aging loved ones and parents, and other topics around aging, death, and other life transitions that will affect each of us. This is your source for hard-to-find resources in Southeast Alaska and beyond. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get each and every episode of our show. Uh, Welcome to another episode of What's Next. Uh, With me as my guest today is Jeremy Hansen. Thanks so much for joining. Thanks for having me. And Jeremy works as co-founder and CEO. Do I have that right? That's correct. Hansen Gress. And how do you define what's your... uh, sentence or two for what Hanson Gress does here in Juneau? Hanson Gress is simply uh, what we call a managed services provider or MSP. Um, we offer professional IT services to small businesses. That primarily is help desk support to infrastructure support and of course, cybersecurity services. Right. And I wanted to talk to you today in part well, let me, let me first give a disclaimer. So <laughs> talking to you, it makes me nervous. And it makes me nervous because anything that I think is remotely associated with IT is something that I shy away from. And I think I've kind of put up, and this is embarrassing to admit and put out in public, but I think that I've put up a barrier and it's almost like, oh, I don't, maybe that's not an area like to, I don't want to touch it, which I think is actually um, synonymous with how some of my clients feel when we talk about estate planning and planning for your death, that it's easy to put up a barrier if I don't even want to think about it. Um, But of course, we benefit from thinking about what can happen when we die and what can happen when someone, I mean, that's another thing, right, is I haven't faced a huge a security breach or identity theft, um, but what what am I missing, and how do I, uh, and how do listeners start planning for the what ifs and set ourselves up for security? So that's part of why I wanted to have you here today, with my disclaimer that uh, I'm nervous. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that um, it's a very a very similar relationship to what you're talking about between estate planning and your customers and uh, IT and security um, and asking questions among my my customers. They are um, very often terrified of wasting our time or uh, sounding uh, like sounding like they don't have a very good question, but you know, I've, I want to hire people that are, um, going to help them, you know, no matter what the question. So I really encourage people to come out and ask all the questions they have. Um, I think that we have a lot of great answers that we want to share and, uh, encourage people to bring those questions forward. And hopefully we're going to tease some of that out today in our conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been contemplating the relationship between uh, cybersecurity and estate planning uh, quite a bit. (laughs) I quickly came to realize that um, protecting our identity is like one of the first decisions that we're going to make as a person today 
in the estate planning oh. process. Wait, let uh, me digest that. Protecting our identity is the first. Yeah, spell that out for us. Yeah. Um, well, well, simply our digital identity and, and our, our and our regular day-to-day identity um, is tied together very intimately. Um, you, mm-hmm. you deserve to protect that. Um, and we can protect that. I, I think uh, when it comes to estate execution uh, later on in life, you don't want any surprises. I have kind of an alarmist example. Um, okay. However, it's, it's an example that sticks in my mind. And I'd, I, I would hate for this to happen to somebody I know or somebody I don't know or anybody, but it does happen, is you would not want to come to uh, the time of your death when you've gone through the estate planning process and you've laid everything out and find out that um, the deed to your home is in somebody else's name because of identity theft. So very early on, um, and, and I think that they're starting to teach it in schools more too, about uh, you know cyber etiquette and um, you know some of these things are, that are early steps in protecting our identity. And I, I wanted to say, wait, does that happen? But of course, it could happen that someone transfers your property to their name. Um, right. There's not very many um, things that you need when you're not physically present, and somebody can verify your physical presence and that you are who you are. There's not very many pieces of information that you need in order to uh, pose as somebody else. Mm-hmm. Okay. So actually let's dive more into this. So that would be an example of a, a problem that could happen. What are some other examples that, I mean, that you've seen where if someone's not paying attention to protecting their digital identity. Right. The most common ones. We'll talk into solutions, but yeah, let's I, talk more. Yeah. About the most common ones that we see day to day in business um, at a, at an alarming rate um, is that of the phishing attacks, you know, phishing, pH phishing, mm-hmm. and uh, what they call spear phishing, where you pose as someone else in an organization that you that that person who's being attacked knows, and they give you a directive, and that. Because we see so many of these directives in a given day, it's just kind of part of the noise. And at some point we slip up and we say, oh, sure, I'd, I'd love to do that for you. Or um, and a directive being like, download this. It could be download this, or I need to transfer money here. Can you run out to the store and buy some gift cards? Um, can you, you know, fill out this form? Um, those are all very common. Um, and I love the fishing, you know, here we are in Alaska, uh, we, a great fishing example. It, if you've been fishing, uh, F I S H fishing, <laughs> um, you know, you throw your lure out and, you know, the fish doesn't bite on the first go, you know, you have to get them kind of excited. Maybe we have to get them distracted. Um, you throw it out again and again and again, and eventually the fish bites because you kind of catch them off guard and their instinct is to do that thing. Um, that is us as humans with email every day. They're throwing these attacks at us 
And at some point, because we're human, we slip up and we, um, we respond to something that maybe we shouldn't have responded to, or we try to download a document that has a, um, you know, put in your Gmail password uh, protection on it, but that is really just a mimic of a real Gmail password prompt. And now we've given somebody our password. Yeah, so I, I'm familiar with, okay, you want to down, don't download things, right? Because there might have a virus. So it's something I don't recognize. I'm going to be really cautious. But, oh, now I forget. You said something about, oh, filling out a form. So would that be like getting identity information that then they can go do X, Y, and Z with? Exactly. Okay. And you sent out a link to a phishing quiz. Uh, I did. This morning. And I uh, scored 50% in my fishing quiz. Now, I want to say that in part that was um, because I didn't see at the beginning that you could hover over and see that something was coming from a, a different URL than it said. Um, but we'll link to that. And I, I think that was a good quiz. Anything you want to say about it? Yeah. And, and that's your observation there of... Um, that you need to learn the, the platform, right? Um, it's not just about the content we're being presented, but it's also the context at which it's being presented. So the more familiar, familiar you are with your email client, or uh, in this case, you're going to understand the tools that you have to identify phishing attempts. I know when I worked for the state, they had us do education about IT, you know, is what you should be cautious for, which it was a really pain, but I think it was good. And I think, yeah. Um, are there other resources? I think the quiz was good. How do we learn if we don't work for the state and have courses? Yeah, well, fortunately, we're seeing more and more small businesses climb on board with that education um, program. Oh, okay in the small business, which is, which is excellent. I'm really happy to see more and more um, folks doing that and giving their employees that opportunity um, to learn. Also just Googling, simply going out there and using a search engine and looking for uh, some good content about protecting my digital identity and cybersecurity there's so much great content out there. And there's just a few basic things that we can talk about today that you can do to help curb um, an attacker, you know, or the, the boogeyman, <laughs> you know, that feeling. It, I used an example early. I was out on a walk before this with a friend and I used an example. I said, you know, at the beginning of COVID, I felt so helpless. Unlike that feeling <laughs> or that situation, there are things that we can do that are really easy that make dramatic differences um, in protecting our identity. It's educating yourself, getting a little organized and managing it. And then from there, once you kind of understand what you have to do or can do, um, and you're making some decisions, some informed decisions, you can go on to um, download password managers uh, and use a password manager and greatly increase the complexity of your passwords and your ability to 
maintain them all, right? It's going to organize that world for you of keeping your passwords somewhere other than under your keyboard on a sticky note <laughs> um, or in a journal or wherever. I just have all the same password. That works. <laughs> yeah. And, and a password manager is going to inform you of that and say, here are all the places mm -hmm. where you need to update your password. Mm -hmm. So, so I want to um, move to that, but educating self. So you talked about if your employer offers some kind of education, going out to Google, then you said organize and manage. What do you mean by, by that? Yeah, identify the, the resources you're using that have your identity associated with them and make sure that all the security features that they offer, you're taking advantage of. So if you use you know, a popular email tool, um, make sure that you're turning on multi-factor authentication, for example. Okay. Organize, get a look at your, your gaps or your, not even gaps, right? But what you need to protect and then manage your, okay. Um, what do you recommend for password managers? Yeah, at Hanson Grass, we use LastPass and we've used the Dashlane as well for a long time. Um, both are great products. LastPass has a couple features that are really easy to uh, implement uh, and that we really take advantage of too, and that's password sharing. Um, you can share a password with somebody and in different ways too. You can share a password in, in that LastPass can automatically enter the password, but they can't uncover the password. So maybe you have an a popular use of this is you have an employee that um, does banking. So you want to share with them the password to log into that banking environment. Um, but you don't necessarily want them to know it. So they can't go home and log into that bank, right? They're, they're only going to be able to log in where they could have that last pass installed or whatever. Um, also, both services have uh, dark web monitoring which is a, you can, a feature that you can turn on and it can tell you a little bit about um, your identity as it's been captured on the dark web. So Ooh. any passwords that may have been stolen or if your email address is on any lists. So it'll tell you about okay. some of those exploits. Um, that I need to learn more about time. that. But so last pass, I actually just installed that recently. Uh, because yeah. I was going to work with someone uh, who was I was going to share with. So they were going to do some work on a website or something like that. And that's why. Um, but why? I mean, you telling me that it's I'm, that you use it tells me that it's secure. But I, I why? Why is it secure? <laughs> why is it better than me keeping my list of passwords on a Word document. Now, obviously, I, I get the sharing with staff or something like that, but in terms of just keeping them secure. Yeah, a couple of things. Um, one is when we have to have complex passwords, I think that we often, in order to use those complex passwords, we have to memorize them, which kind of encourages us to use the same password over and over again. N not particularly safe habit because somebody gains that one password. Now they have access to all these resources. What the LastPass type password manager allows you to do 
is to use more complex passwords, and then you don't have to re remember those passwords. You can have different passwords and more complex passwords. And, the, and LastPass is going to manage that for you on your phone, on your computer, you know, wherever you might need it. Um, and that makes managing, you know, for me, over a thousand passwords that I have in my LastPass a lot easier than keeping it on paper. Um, even to write out, say, a thousand passwords is just not realistic. But we have, we most of us have probably, I would say, between three and five hundred passwords in our ecosystem. You know that you've you've had to create accounts or whatever over time. Another great, and while I mentioned creating accounts, another uh, great thing to do is destroying accounts, just like. Your credit score, you know, you can kind of think of your like identity uh, similarly, if I was, you could call it your identity score. <laughs> um, you would get dinged for keeping old accounts open. And we want to close out those old accounts and not have them um, as liabilities, you know, that could be attacked and where somebody could discover PI, you know, personally identifiable information. We refer to it as PII. Or PI. Wait, so this is interesting. Let me ask. Uh, I can an example. I have one really simple password that I use for anything that in my mind I don't think I should care about because it's not a, like a bank account. So one example would be my fitness pal. In the past, when I was counting calories and had this free app, and so you know, I don't use it anymore <laughs> lately. Maybe I'll come back into that someday. But um I'm sure I still have an account and I haven't thought that was important, right? I might have my email, my weight. <laughs> Is that something that I actually should be concerned about those types of things where it's not? Yeah. I mean, my fitness pal uh, products like that, right? So many of them have a lot more than just that. That's why you're using it. Is it, is it tracking your steps? Have you ever put your birth date in because you want to know, your age and therefore you know you might get like a calorie estimate you know what is your daily yeah, probably calorie i bet it's supposed I to be um mm -hmm. they're linked with other services like your step counter you know in your phone which might be an apple product or a google product which is linked up with um where you've been, right? The, the magic GPS that tells you how far you ran or how far, how long you biked and where you went. Um, when, when an attacker is able to collect all that information about you, um, your birth date, what your habits are, um, it just opens the door for them to exploit th that information. Wow. That was a really good and horrifying example. Um, okay. Now, how does one actually delete an account like that? Yeah, most reputable services have um, very clear instructions on how to close out an account. Okay. And then they would, they don't store it somewhere? Hmm. I mean, most of them have the ability to delete it entirely at this point. There's a regulatory things that have happened all around the world. Um, GDPR is one of the probably the best, not applying to us so much here in America, but um, has, you know, these services are used worldwide, right? Mm 
um, GDPR has made it so that um, as a consumer of a product, you can request your information and you can also request that your information is destroyed. Right. You talked about dark web scanning earlier. In uh, layman's terms, I can imagine what the dark web is, but what's your, how would you define or explain the dark web? I don't have much business explaining the dark web. Um, the piece that I've always been most interested in is, is mostly what dark web monitoring um, and identity monitoring is about, is just like what, what pieces of information have been leaked into um, an aggregated like storage facility that some attacker can go download. So there's a password list out there of all the passwords that um, kind of unsavory folk have chosen, you know, potential attackers have chosen to go out and uh, kind of accumulate into one big download and use for brute force password attacks and stuff. Okay, I want to know what a brute force, what did you say, brute force attack? Brute. brute force password attack. It's basically where you generate a list of, of kind of known passwords and you use those um, to enhance your lexicon or your digital um, dictionary to uh, attack by testing each password in the list, you know. So you might have an email address, you know, the person's username is their email address. And now we're just going to run a list of, you know, millions of passwords against that email address um, to see if okay. we can gain access to a system. So when someone logged into my Netflix account from some other country, that might be what they were doing. That might be what they're doing. Okay. Absolutely. Um, Most likely, it was a phishing attack. Oh, shoot. <laughs> so most likely, I gave it somehow. Most likely. These days, I would say right most likely. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you, you accidentally one day tried to log into Netflix on the wrong site by clicking some sponsored ad instead of the authentic search result for Netflix. Thanks. <laughs> oh, the hand in it right out. It's very um, tricky out there today. So I also recently, I know I had just started this and I was like, I've never had my identity stolen. It's no big deal. I did actually have someone using a debit card in Turkey um, and another country just like a month or two ago. And I don't even think that I ever held on to that debit card. I don't remember. I couldn't find it. Oh, interesting. Like maybe an account that you never opened. It was a bank. It was for a bank account that I use regularly. I just have never used the debit card. Oh yeah. You know, I've had the similar experience. Um, I would guess that that is likely just a good guess on somebody's part. Okay. So now, since we're, I, um, 
and we'll come back to other tips for for identity. But I just for my personal benefit, since I'm talking to you, I receive you know this as a business owner. It's incredible how many people reach out to you and they want your services. And I mean, I get a lot of business to business people that reach out, and I don't worry about responding to them. But then sometimes I get I've had consistently corporations that want business that want help setting up their business. And they talk about how they got my information from the bar association. They don't mention a state. They don't mention anything specific. I had one that was, some of them are just obvious. I want help with my business. We have this huge deal, blah, blah, blah. And it's like delete. But I had one that was more specific. It had what looked like a legitimate.com. I looked at that business and it was this huge corporation. The name seemed legit, but something was off, right? It wasn't personal enough. I actually did respond. And then to see what, you know, they came back and wanted like, I don't know, but I couldn't, what were they? I couldn't for the life of me. It was too fishy. Like something was off, right? Clearly off, but what are they trying to get at? That's what I didn't understand. You have any ideas? Like, you know, I've I've seen so many of these emails. Um, one of the rewinding just a little bit. Um, one of the roles we play at Hanson Grass is um, we're an outlet for folks like you to bounce that off of and try to legitimize it, right, or disqualify mm-hmm. it. Another place that that's supposed to happen in an organization is the HR department can be that gateway between the user base in that organization and the IT department. And so, so many of the phishing um, inquiries, we will call them, happen between the HR department and the end user, right? It could be... Um, collecting bank information or something uh, for auto deposit. That's a popular one. And the HR department can quickly disqualify that, right? They can say, oh no, we did not send that to you. Um, So having a resource in your life that can help you qualify these things is very helpful, whether it's a uh, IT contractor, a friend that knows about this stuff, or, or in a larger organization, you know, sometimes, like I said, the HR department can play a role as well. Right, and then in right. very large organizations, of course, there's an entire security offices like you would have at the state of Alaska. Do you have an answer to what they could be? I mean, if there's nothing, if someone's asking to work with me and they want, you know, whatever, are they just trying to think that I'll get far enough down the line to give them more information? They're trying to build a relationship of trust with you. Okay. That's yeah. that's the first thing that we need to do, right? Kind of in the cycle is establish some sort of trust with the end user. Okay. And then we're going to gain their information. We There's, there's two uh, main types of phishing that would probably occur. I'm kind of out on a limb here. Um, <laughs> Sorry. One of, them, one of them is going to be get me the end user to react from a place of fear, right? Because I make very poor decisions when I react from a place of fear. The other one is 
what you're talking about there is maybe somebody is trying to um, fill your like your reward center essentially, right? In your brain and say, uh, I want to be your friend. I want to build a relationship with you. I need to gain your trust. And uh, through that, they're going to be able to unlock so much more, right? Okay. Yeah. I think they mentioned something about a whole ton of money that they the deal would be. Yeah. So they might have been trying to tie into the... Uh... Yeah. So they're trying to kind of just get your reward center excited and yeah, be like, yeah. oh, money. Oh, this great. sounds really sketchy, <laughs> but that's like a, a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. I'm the wrong person for that. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. And, and that is getting into that whole realm of social engineering and, and, and fishing just hits right square in the middle of that social engineering stuff. Anything else you want to share on our, in terms of when we think about what our tools are for and working with someone like you, if you're a business, um, other, actually, here's a question for you. And then if you have other tools that you think of, let me, let me know. But on a, for thinking about not a business, but a personal level, um, especially if someone maybe is pretty familiar and they're, um, want to kind of do a recap for their parents so that their parents don't get taken advantage of. Um, or we want to educate. My mother just recently had gone really far down this fishing. Like they wanted her to, it was bad. <laughs> and she stopped and told me about it. But do you have any ideas on that? You know, personal family helping others? Yeah. Yeah. You would. You kind of preface this call with a question um, uh, about, do I have a specific piece of advice on a particular life transition, right? I think this is, this is <laughs> right. That's my the, question. Yep. Yeah. This is right here. Um, and when you started talking about your mother, you reminded me of a really difficult um, conversation that I was a part of uh, not that long ago. And that's the case when a family member is starting to experience dementia and but they're still using the tools that we use every day our their credit cards their cell phones these people who are starting to experience dementia are at particularly high risk because when somebody calls them um i think they it doesn't take much to convince that person that you know, it, it's going to be okay. I just need this little bit of information from you, um, mm. and and very quickly they're exposing themselves and potentially many more family members. So, with with some of these tools that we're talking about today, password managers and um, you know, just putting some controls in place in your daily life as a as an individual can really help curb that from happening. But that is one of the most, um, you know, it's such a difficult disease to start with and then layering on additional um, things like identity theft is just, you know, families don't need to deal with that. Yeah. Do you, I guess you're, you're in the world of business IT, so maybe not a business, but do you recommend really taking away some of that control then so that they wouldn't have access 
I think that you, uh, you know, that's on a case by case basis. For sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm starting to take over and listeners will probably know this if I've been really open about it, that my aunt is almost 85. She has no children. I'm the only like person in her life. And she's starting to get dementia and has really started asking for help. Thank God I wasn't paying attention. Um, and she, well, yeah, I'm just thinking of how easily, you know, she's still pretty sharp on things, but I still, mm-hmm. one could, could convince her of something pretty easily. Yeah. This is just, yeah. I don't think that we need to take anything away necessarily, but what we can do is start to limit exposure, right? Instead of having mm-hmm. a credit card with a $10,000 limit, maybe we have a credit card with a $1,000 limit, right? You know, things like that. Credit card agencies are actually um, very, very um, easy to work with. You know, they have great clauses mm-hmm. about, you know, mm-hmm. if something does happen and you can identify it quickly, then um, it's easy. There's good recourse on it. Um, and you're not likely out. But starting to maybe tighten down some controls, you know, and, and not have as much exposure, um, you know, starting to transfer some assets away from their name into others. You know, that's, I think, a pretty typical estate planning kind of end of life thing to do. <laughs> um, there's, well, there's, there's risks with that. I'll just say that. <laughs> for sure. For yeah. sure. Talk, to, talk to an attorney before you do that. But yeah. Um, yeah. Talk to Liz Smith right here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, one thing that, that we did is she was getting all of her bank statements, you know, by paper and not throwing anything away and just holding everything. So I was able to sign it. She doesn't do online. So now I have all the statements online so that she's not just having that sitting around. No, that's great. And one of my, I'm so glad you brought that up. One of my employees, when I spoke to them that I was going to be on your podcast, they said, you know, I I had forgotten about it, but um, one of the m- most important things I was told was to to destroy that um, that mail, you know, appropriately to shred it, to clean up those old documents that you don't need anymore. Um, it can make a huge difference in protecting yeah. your identity because we have our digital identity that on the internet that we can go out and seek, but we also have, you know, that identity is our day-to-day identity as well. And, um, you know, you just need a few pieces of information, right? <laughs> your name, your birth date, and your social security number. And all of a sudden the world is very accessible to somebody, your world. Yeah. Um, I touched on multi-factor authentication just a little bit, um, bringing that back around. This is another great tool. Um, It it relates to everybody, but even to the the dementia case that we're talking about um, is it's just, it's one more place where we can stop and think, is this, um, is this legitimate? And um, it's also one thing that when we're being fished and it asks you to put in that password, it's a thing that they can't easily recreate that second piece of information, the mm-hmm. multi-factor password, um, because they are synchronized in nature. So, and, and just to kind of explain multi-factor authentication a little bit, um, if you think about going to a bank in the past, you would 
walk up to the teller and you'd say, I want to withdraw some money. And they're kind of going to ask you the three questions or have you write them down somewhere, your full name, which is like your username. They would ask you for your birth date, which is basically your password at that point. And then they're going to ask you for your social security number. Um, and that is going to be your second factor. And in the digital world, we've taken that a whole nother level and we've made that second factor what they call a one-time password or OTP. And it changes interactively all the time, every minute or whatever time interval that's been agreed upon between pieces of software. So it's, it's like a very dynamic social security number in, in our digital world. Um, and that's what multi-factor authentication is about, is uh, providing yeah. that set. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. And I never thought about it. And it's just a thing that I do and get annoyed at. But no, that makes, yeah. Yeah, sense. every time you get annoyed at it, embrace it. I will. I <laughs> Love it and be grateful that it's there because it is a huge, huge tool in our toolbox lately. Yeah. As we were talking about, well, all of this, and I, I, I use sometimes it's it's easy in estate planning to get into the and in your business the the stories of the worst case that sure they don't happen a lot but they can um, and I did talk to someone who's one of their parents was in a nursing home I think and very well off and someone convinced them to give them their house everything everything was gone and that wasn't online that was um gaining the trust in person yeah. wow wow that makes it very real yeah i i'm still like oh my god yeah, yeah. and that is you know almost the exact same example as i gave earlier right this is the in-person example of that yeah yeah no but but the good news is that we we can empower ourselves. We have the tools, um, you know, get a little bit of education on, on it, get out there and start to implement. I wouldn't even, you know, go, go get the low hanging fruit, you know, secure up your banks and whatnot, but just kind of move on and start implementing this in your life using the password manager, using multi-factor authentication, um, being a, like having your eyes open a little bit more and avoiding you know, offers and email that you're not expecting, you know, most, you know, for me at Hanson Grass, most sales calls I'm expecting because I've spoke to that person and, you know, out somewhere in an event and they said, oh, I'll call you or I'll email you. Um, it's the things that kind of come out of nowhere, like you're talking about that, you know, you should be wary of. And, and there are ways for, uh, a knowledgeable IT person or, you know, even a well-trained eye to identify those, those emails and say, no, that's, that's not valid. Um, you know, keep your, keep your computers like security suite, your antivirus and malware protection up to date. Um, and keep your work identities and your personal identities separated as well. Um, so you don't expose each other right? You know, you don't need to create unnecessary exposure for yourself by using that work identity, which might be a, a more of a target and, and vice versa, right? What is that? What would my work identity be versus personal? So 
So like if you're Liz at Liz Smith law versus Liz at hotmail.com, um, you know, try to keep them separate, right? Try to use Liz at hotmail.com for, you know, your Netflix and try to use Liz at Liz Smith law, you know, for your, you know, work stuff. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Cause that was something that was drilled into me working for the government. <laughs> uh, now that I don't anymore. When uh, we were before, before recording or a few days ago, you emailed and said, what if, should you share your password with your spouse before you die? And I gave you, <laughs> I throw right back at you and said, well, good question. Should you, what's the risk? Um, and I, I kind of went through then a litany of ultimately saying, well, yeah, just before you die, you certainly should. <laughs> but no, I, I loved your response. I loved your response. And, and I knew that this was coming back at me today by not responding, um, to your email there. I, I think that choosing the appropriate passwords that will assist you know, in the estate after death um, and using a password manager to do so, or, you know, keeping those few passwords up to date in a safe place is a good idea. Um, You know, something that I probably, you know, I just want to remind people is that there's, there is a lot of, um, you know, personal information, like deeply personal information tied up in our, our SMS and our email and our Facebook chats and um, all these, all these services. And, you know, you give somebody keys to the kingdom, it might be, you know, it might be hard for the family, you know, maybe not, maybe nobody has anything to hide and, and that's fine. But, you know, there's, I think that there are cases where, um, you know, a little bit of discretion with what passwords, you know, you're sharing and stuff is maybe important to keep in mind. My friend got divorced a few years back and he said that, um, this is in Southern California, and he said that his divorce attorney at the time um, said that Facebook was cited in uh, not just a lot, but most divorce cases, uh, not as cause, but just somewhere in the rhetoric, like narrative, Facebook was mentioned. And uh, in terms of estate planning, it kind of uh, reminded me of something. And that is Facebook has a new feature, uh, Facebook legacy contact. Um, so if somebody passes, they can, uh, before they pass, they can assign that legacy contact to another Facebook user. And then it makes it a little bit easier for somebody to take control of your account and uh, memorialize it or whatever they do. So, um, yeah, no, thanks for mentioning that. Yeah. I also found, uh, there is a military spouse resource. I had never seen the site before, but it had a nice summation of, um, all the other, so like mainstream social media, um, what to do if somebody dies or what happens to accounts when somebody dies and whether it's your TikTok or Instagram, um, yeah, and uh, just a handful of other resources that I'll include. Um, Is it great that we can include online for people yeah. who are checking yeah. out the podcast? In in the cases that I've heard, the most frustrating things are um, when somebody who dies has like all the banking in the family, right? And then the spouse can't access anything that day after, and they need to get to something. 
Um, like those sound like really appropriate passwords to share via password manager. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We actually just had a personal, our bank changed their system and my husband set up the online and it was tied to, to factor authentication to his phone. And we both travel a lot and I never wanted to look at the bank account when he was around <laughs> and could get to give me the phone number. And I spent months not looking and, um, we finally changed it so I can have, it goes to my, anyway. Yeah. It's a thing. It's, it's a, a thing. thing. And the last uh, thing I think that is like such a huge um, a help is if you take all this information that you learn today or go out and learn on your own, um, you know, go share that with a friend because when we all start doing this stuff, that's when this becomes less of a vector, right? Less interesting for attackers to be attack attacking our identity. Um, and, you know, they'll move on to something else, but, you know, this will be a struggle for quite some time. And uh, yeah, there's some, there's this very few simple things that can make huge differences. Thank you. I do have a, just want to talk a little about Hanson Grass. So I met your co-founder, Tyler, back a long time ago, before COVID, um, I was doing Toastmasters. Uh, and and met him and first became aware of the company and I never heard of it. And so I had owned a business then. So maybe that's why, but I figured you were a new company, but it looks like you've actually been around over 20 years. Yeah, we have been around for quite some time. I think that we have a couple customers who have been with us. Um, yeah, for over 20 years now. And, and he, Tyler, he, sorry. Go ahead. Tyler and I, uh, incorporated in 2005 together as a partnership forming Hans what is now Hanson Grass today. Um, it's been, you know, a really exciting business for a long time. We just operated as the two of us. Um, and then about five years ago, we started adding, adding staff and we're up there to 15 or 16 staff at Hanson Grass and, and servicing a significant portion of Juno's businesses. That's huge growth. Congratulations. Thank you. And how did you, I mean, you both are pretty young. That's a long time in business. Did you start it pretty early? I mean, yeah. Uh, I talk about those customers that we had a long, long, long ago. Um, I started doing work for a couple of those when I was in sixth and seventh grade. Oh my God. <laughs> and they're still with us today. So this is your passion. This has been my life's work and passion um, for sure. And I'm, you know, I'm so excited to just still be here in Juno, you know, supporting the technology needs of our small businesses. Were you, how did you, how did you start? Did your parents get you a computer? <laughs> you just... Oh, that's a great question. Um, yes, my parents, I grew up as a commercial fisherman on a commercial fishing boat and uh, there's no shortage of electronics especially back then on a commercial fishing boat. And when one would break, I had a new project and that was just take it apart and look around. And then one day I took apart a radar and put it back together, a radar that wasn't working and put it back together and it worked afterwards. And I think that that got my parents thinking about things a little bit. Um, I had a neighbor who was very into computers and had access to lots of stuff very early on and had a, a college education in computing at the time. And um, 
brought that kind of computer science stuff home to us. And I spent a lot of time over there, you know, checking out fractals and early operating systems and programming and very early exposure. Uh, then my parents certainly started buying our first like small Apple computer and we didn't have a lot of software for it because my mom only used it for um, accounting at the time and a couple like document composition things. And uh, that left me with programming on it. <laughs> so I started programming on the Apple 2GS and um, the rest is history, right? I love it. Ever since. <laughs> that's, that's, that's great. And I hope you still like it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, it changes all the time. So. It's always changing and it's so rewarding for me to walk side by side with a business in a challenging technical situation and um, look at the problem, the business problem or opportunity that's being presented to them and look at what's in our uh, arsenal of technology and see if anything fits to help them you know, add value to their business or advance their business or overcome something that's really frustrating for their employees. You know, that's at the end of the day, we just want to find ways to help using technology. Nice. What size of businesses do you work with? Yeah, anywhere from just a couple employees to far north of 100. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all sizes, all sizes that Juno is presenting at the, yeah, at the start. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you have a business in town, you can call Hanson Group. Yeah. And we have a small presence through several of the companies that are based out of Juno um, throughout Southeast Anchorage and a couple in Washington too. So their their home offices are here, but they have outstations everywhere. And I know you have a contact form on your website and we'll link to the website, but is there anything else you want to share? about reaching out to you, our last thoughts before we wrap. Yeah, our website is a, a great place to come find us. Um, I think our phone number's on there. We're pretty easy to get a hold of. Uh, if you just call the help desk, they'll track me down or Tyler um, or just submit a help ticket and see where it goes. <laughs> um, and just for listeners, if you're not looking, hansengress.com, H-A-N-S-E-N-G-R-E-S-S. That is right. Yeah. That is right. Yeah, we're just, you know, we're just out there excited to help kind of nurture and protect the user experience and with technology and, you know, day-to-day support for all those businesses. Thank you. Thank you for being there. (laughs) And thank you so much for sharing this information with myself and with those that will listen. I I really appreciate it. It's been a lot. Yeah, you bet. That's all for this week. You can find show notes for this show and prior episodes and future episodes at lizsmithlaw.com. And if you're interested in scheduling a meeting with us to find out what your next step would be for your estate planning, visit us at bit.ly slash mygiftfromlsl. Again, that's bit.ly slash mygiftfromlsl. Or find the link at lizsmithlaw.com. 
We look forward to seeing you again right here, same place, same time, two weeks from now. Thank you so much.